next week, as we heard earlier, um, with Julian Hill, Labor will introduce a bill which, if passed, will stop the federal government and their plans to force pensioners on the cashless debit card, which would mean that 80% of your pension would be placed on the card. The privatisation of welfare, in other words. The government could then control where and when you spend your pension. Let's talk about this and some other issues with the Deputy Leader of the Opposition, Richard Miles. Good morning to you, Richard. Good morning, Marcus. How are you? Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, I've long spoken about this privatisation of our welfare system. I hate privatisation at the best of times, but when a third party determines where people can and can't spend their entitlements, well, that straight away sends alarm bells to me. And and it should. And and it's it's about the privatisation of the system. This is obviously something that should be inherently done by government, but as you rightly say, it's also about removing choice for, for pensioners. It, it, and, and actually, I think at the end of the day, it's about removing people's dignity. I mean, what this would mean is that pensioners, as you say, would have 80% of their income quarantined, and it would mean that there would only be certain things that that money could be spent on in certain places, uh, which removes dignity from from those pensioners, but it also removes people's freedom, the ability to choose what to buy and and where. I mean, you couldn't buy second-hand goods, for example, which might be, in fact, uh, the, the, the cheapest way to go. Well, it right. might be how they drive their dollar further. And, 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 and people deserve their dignity. And, and ultimately, this is a fundamental attack on, on the dignity of pensioners, and it's why we're opposed to it. All right, well, let's move on to the climate change issue. Obviously, it's uh, big news at the moment ahead of Glasgow in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, The government doesn't seem yet to have a plan to get out of coal and gas, which means, in my opinion, they don't have a a plan for our future or a plan for climate change and just simply pretending that they can keep building new coal and gas mines while cutting pollution. I mean, that's a little fraudulent, surely. I mean, apparently there's a number of of new coal and gas mine operations that are still on the government's books, for goodness sake. Well, the, the issue here really is, is that the government can't get its act together on the fundamental question of how we're going to manage uh, our own emissions and how we are going to play our part in relation to the global challenge of climate change. But I think, in a sense, even more importantly, how we're going to make sure that our economy keeps up with the, the rest of the world. Uh, the commitment to zero net emissions by 2050 ought to be the simplest commitment for this government to make, given that it's really what underpins the, the Paris Accord, which is what this government has signed Australia up to. So uh, it, it really shouldn't be that hard. We've, we've made that commitment a long time ago. We see a lot of our state governments having made that commitment and more. Uh, we see a whole lot of companies in the private sector walking down that path, a whole lot of entities in regional Australia walking down that path. The National sure. Farmers Federation, for goodness sake, have, have committed to zero net emissions by 2050. But that most, most basic of statements, um, this government cannot make. Um, and with Glasgow really only uh, a couple of weeks away, uh, the idea that, that the government is in such disarray now says everything about how uh, this government, and in particular this Prime Minister, is incapable of leading. 
All right, what about those that have the opposing view? I mean, for instance, Senator Matthew Canavan, who this morning writes, we should build a high-efficiency, low-emission coal-fired power station to provide jobs and reliable, affordable power. And he reminds us that China, Indonesia, Japan and Korea have all signed up to net zero, but they are building 129 coal-fired power stations right now. What he's arguing is, if it's good enough for other countries to build coal power stations while committing to net zero, then it should be good enough for Australia. Well, well um, firstly, in terms of um, the, the, the coal sector communities that are involved in coal mining, um, they will continue to form a really important part of our economy for uh, many years to come. And, yep. and, and that needs to be understood. Um, and they are, uh, by and large, producing a product which is being sold onto the global market, and and, and that, and so you know, the decisions about the um, the the use of that product are obviously made by the, the global market. But that will be an important part of uh, of our economy for uh, for many years to come. The question really is about what we do in terms of our own emissions and whether or not we are going to play our part, but, but more, as I say, I think more importantly, make sure that our economy is moving in a direction where we take advantage of the enormous opportunity to create jobs by investing in renewable energy, for example. We have one of the best, um, if not the best, renewable energy resource in the world. You know, we've got the most consistent winds in the world. We've got the longest lateral coastline against the Roaring Forties, which is the most consistent wind on the planet. Uh, we've got the, the, the best solar radiation uh, in terms of converting it into electricity of anywhere in the world other than the Sahara, and we're in a better position than those nations to develop that well, Why aren't we here. taking advantage of all of this? Why do we have a well, government that doesn't seem to want to well, at least pretend like it wants to spend investment dollars and, and be proactive in this space. Rich, well, and why is it, sorry, and why is it so hard, mate, to sell this story of, a, of a, an efficient green future that won't lose jobs, in fact create jobs, and also lead to better efficiencies, including cheaper electricity? Well, and, and it's that last point, Marcus, which, you know, is the, is, is the point that we've really got to reiterate. I mean, ultimately, this is the pathway to cheaper electricity. And what comes from that um, is, is an ability to power industry and, and all the jobs that flow, not just from the generation of the electricity, but from the, the use of cheap electricity in, in, in manufacturing. And that's ultimately why... You know, we, we had a manufacturing, we've had a manufacturing sector in this country because energy has been uh, cheap in the past. This is the way in which we get cheap energy going forward. And, and it is an incredible resource that is available to us. And, and it's really important that we are developing it and in developing it. Um, we should also be leading the world in relation to renewable energy science and also importantly, renewable energy export. And, and that's done through hydrogen. Um, and, and this is an important point to make because of the, the resource sector that we've had in this country, which has served us so well, we're in a really great position to develop a hydrogen industry. You create hydrogen through uh, the use of renewable electricity and in yeah. exporting hydrogen, you effectively are exporting the renewable energy. Um, this is uh, a huge 
huge opportunity for the country. And it's really a question as to whether or not we're going to grab that opportunity and, and move into the future in a way which actually creates jobs. But what we've got with this government is, is a government which is uh, incapable of sorting itself out, um, which is, has been at each other's throats, really, for the last eight years. This is not something which is new, Marcus. For eight years, they've been ripping each other apart and, and have been incapable of landing any consistent energy policy, any consistent response to the challenge of climate change, any consistent response to how we move forward well, and, and actually yep, take is, advantage of these opportunities. That is true, Richard, but they've also been very good then at, at convincing... Australians, even in the last election, which was the unlosable one, they've been very good at convincing Australians, whether it's a scare campaign or not, that taking action on climate uh, would lead to job losses, higher electricity prices and all the rest of it. Uh, And, you know, basically strip our nation of its wealth. It's a tough sell. I understand that. And obviously, you know, I'm on the side of... uh, of, of Anthony and, and, and yourself in this fight against climate change. Uh, but, you know, this, we just need to keep on with selling the benefits of a, a greener, more renewable future. We need to ensure and, and follow through on any of the promises that are made to regional Australia because right now the nationals are pushing back and that's what's causing all of the uh, the problems. And there's a stalemate, as you say, between the nationals and the the liberals at a federal level. And, and that's not good for any of us. Oh, look, I think that's right. And, and, and I think you make a fair point, Marcus. I think this, um, no, no one would suggest that Scott Morrison isn't, isn't good at politics um, and doesn't know how to how to run a line. I mean, he, he, yeah. he's proved himself very adept at doing that. But ultimately... Uh, running political lines is very different from running the country um, and, and doing so in a way which actually uh, builds our prosperity and our wealth and takes us into the future. And, and Scott Morrison has failed on that. And what, what you see consistently with Scott Morrison is just uh, a complete um, willingness to do a 180-degree turn and, and pretend he never said stuff. I mean, in the lead-up to the last election, when it came to electric vehicles, he, he was saying that electric vehicles would um, essentially bring the weekend to an end. Um, now he's, he's embracing electric vehicles. The end uh, of I mean, utes and all that sort of rubbish. I mean, he, 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 <laughs> he, this is a guy who, who, right. who always is running a line, always is engaging in, in the new sort of reset in terms of his uh, political narrative because it's all about politics. It's not about speaking truth and working out how we uh, develop a policy which is in the interests of the nation. Now, you know, we we learn our own lessons, I might say, at at the last election. And you're right, they they were very good at scare campaigns. And they ran those in a lot of uh, towns around Australia, which are very much part of um, the, the coal mining sector. The fact of the matter is that even in a circumstance where we are moving to zero net emissions by 2050, um, coal mining will continue to be a part of our economy for many years to come. Of course it will, yep. Um, and, and so, you know, what is being run there by the government is nothing other than a scare campaign. But there is an enormous opportunity uh, in developing renewable energy, in, in looking at ways in which we can run our industry more on that basis, getting cheap energy as a result of that. And, dare and the we jobs say, that flow from that, yeah. and we need to move in that direction. 
dare we say, uh, manufacturing again. I'll, I'll leave you with this point, uh, and I think it's a, a pretty important point. Today is the, uh, is the 20th day of October. It was on this day back in 2017 that the last Holden rolled off the production line in Adelaide. That's when it all shut down, ending 69 years of Australian-made car manufacturing. I mean, if that uh, isn't a uh, a date of infamy, I, I don't know what is. So we need to get back to manufacturing, and that should serve as a good reminder that on this day, back in 2017, we last manufactured a car. We're much better than this. Totally, am. and I, you know, I'm speaking to you today from you know, a car manufacturing town. That's how we saw ourselves in Geelong, making Fords. Yes, and. Uh, and, you know, I, I drive past that factory, what, what was the Ford factory, a lot, and, and it's very sad to see sad. that now. It is. And, and we, you know, and, and the thing about making cars is it was the, the highest tech manufacturing that we did in Australia. Um, and, and so we, we not only lost jobs in, in the moment that we stopped making cars, but we lost a lot of industrial capability, and we need to get yep. that back. But, but the point is that a lot of that manufacturing and, and making cars is, is a good example um, was based on cheap electricity and cheap electricity we can get again through uh, renewable energy and All by right. really developing that resource and that's what we've got to do. Good to have you on, Richard. Thank you. We'll chat again soon. Thanks, Marcus. Thank you. Uh, at a federal level, Deputy Labor Leader Richard Miles.